So I gained, I think, seven pounds. That was an aggressive way to start this episode. Since I had surgery, mm -hmm. I have gained, I'm not kidding, like seven solid pounds. Solid pounds. Not like fake pounds. Solid ones. No. You know, I mean, because your weight fluctuates. Mm -hmm. I'm not vibing with that. You're not into that? And we're not even to Christmas yet. Have you, have you weighed and, yourself after Thanksgiving, though? Yeah, Samantha, I have. Samantha got me this really, really, really fancy scale, like, last, I think last Christmas, didn't yeah. you? Or maybe for my birthday or something. And, you, and I, it's calibrated to me. So I stand on it with bare feet, and it tells me, like, my body fat index, whatever. It tells me how much water, I like, whatever. It gives me, like, the whole workup of my whole body. And it's very, very accurate. And very cool. So not happy. Not happy. It's unfortunate. It's a damp compile. I just don't step on the scale and then I don't know. Well, and we made, well, there, that's smart. <laughs> I mean, because, I mean, whatever. And then I can't be but, sad. <sighs> that's fine. All this downtime, like, because, I mean, since surgery, like, I, I really did, like, take a month off and not do anything super extravagant <sighs> anyway so i guess back to the goddamn gym i hate the gym i have a gym membership that i haven't used in a hot minute i hate going to the gym yeah coral's been like do you want to go to the gym with me do you want to go to the gym with me i'm like coral no i don't want to no. go with your skinny ass i don't want to go to the gym with you where no. <laughs> you're gonna freaking like work out for a solid hour and after 20 minutes i'm gonna be like so i'm really over this right and she's gonna make me stay i'm not going I to the gym know. with her she's on crack i know i don't have any desire to go at all like i don't like going i don't enjoy it and now it's we're almost to january so then the first like two weeks of Everybody january goes, everyone's gonna go because right. new, new year's, year's resolutions, resolutions. <laughs> yep everybody goes and it's just whatever and i'm like i just really need to mm -hmm. i gotta get this under control <laughs> this is not good just don't step on the scale well what you know what you don't know can't hurt you but i do know which is why i step on the scale i'm like oh my skirts are a little tighter oh that doesn't look as good mm. 10 pounds is a lot seven pounds is a lot it's not that much it is a lot it's just like a baby you, it's just a baby if you look at like what seven pounds of fat like actually is, you'd be like, well, maybe you're growing muscle. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm growing like, but we way overcooked for Thanksgiving. So no I, such thing. I cooked a, what, a 25 pound turkey and then um, the girl's job gave them turkey. Turkey. So we had like four turkeys. Yeah. And Brighton like is adamant about always having to deep fry deep turkey. Fry turkey. Yeah. <laughs> so we bake one in the oven, we deep fry one, and then Coral and Samantha both came home with a smoked turkey. We were like, oh, but there's nothing better than Thanksgiving leftovers. No. It's almost better than actual Thanksgiving Seriously. meal. But and then nobody has to fight over the skin. <laughs> it's the best part of the turkey. Yeah. Fight me, you're wrong. So we saw this TikTok um, about making... Um, turkey sushi and we tried it so we took the so this is what you do you take the skin of your turkey for those of you who don't know you take the skin of your turkey and on the skin of your turkey you put like like it's butter mashed potatoes and then stuffing and then corn and yeah i mean whatever you want on it 
you roll it up, then you slice it like, like it's sushi, and then you take it, pick it up with a fork, and then dip it in turkey gravy. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. But skin of the turkey is the best part. But here we go. Seven pounds later. Die on that hill. Seven pounds later, Mama's not happy about this. <laughs> the holiday weight doesn't count. It does count. No, it doesn't. Oh. It's a lie. It's mm. fake news. Okay. Well, ask anyone. Tell that to my pants. They'll tell you. <laughs> Fat pants are the only way to go. You write elastic waistbands this oh. time of year. <laughs> Duh. And then be depressed come the new year. Right. Oh, yeah. Obviously. When it's dark at three o'clock. Yeah. Ah. I don't know why seasonal depression is such a thing. Uh, can't. Right. Anyway, so today Samantha is bringing the episode. We've hey. only got two more, and then we are in December. I know. Can't Already it. Christmas time. Christmas time. And you're gonna hate this episode. Oh, fantastic! Hundred percent. Great. Perfect. So, here we go. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is the suspended sentence. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the Suspended Sentence Podcast. We are on Patreon. We do have bonus episodes and stuff over there. So if you haven't joined us over there, jump on and see what's going on over there. It's just a little more like personal stuff about like our life and, you know, fun stuff. Fun stuff. So jump over there if you're not over there yet. Our email address is the Suspended Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. You can buy Tracy's book anywhere the books are sold. IDP and the 13 components to criminal thinking and behavior. Boom. Oh, we nice. Good Hi. job, Sam. I am. Look at us go. All right. What are we talking about today? All right. At 17, Richard James Heron was riding high. He was the son of a Mexican mother and an Irish father who had abandoned the family when Richard was three. He was graduating first in his class of 415 students. Wow. Good job. At Abraham Lincoln High School in Los Angeles. So, Good job. Yeah. He had played football and baseball while in school, and he had been a leader um, of his student government. So off to a good start. Off to a good start. Um, He was also his class valedictorian. Um, But no one had ever seen him angry. He had never been in a fight. Um, And during the summer and on weekends, he would help help his stepfather's swap shop. Um, and he would go to church with his mo- mother every Sunday for 7 a.m. mass. Wow. Like, seems like he's got his stuff together, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. He also had an IQ of 140. Ooh. Um, and of the 8,681 high school seniors who would apply to go to Yale for the class of 1975, Richard James Heron was one of the only 1,019 men to be accepted that year. Fantastic. Got it together, right? Um, But something happened to Richard when he got to Yale. He stopped doing really well academically. And in his four years there, he earned one A. Ooh, yep. 42% of his classmates would graduate with honors, but Richard would have to attend summer school after his senior year in order to even get his degree. Oh. Less than three years after he left Yale, the chairman of the department recalls Heron only vaguely as not a very forceful person. Hmm. Richard Heron did not, um, didn't seem troubled by, by his academic slide and was quoted by some of his friends saying, I'm a geology major, he would say laughingly. There's no one less competitive at Yale than a geo major, and I'm a C student in geology. But he wasn't just coasting through Yale. It had, um, it was just. But, but it's Yale. Right. I mean, like, to me, it's like, well, 
you know, <laughs> doing doing really well. It Yale is. I mean, it's Yale, right? It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be hard. But he was like, I'm not just coasting through. He just simply had other interests. Oh, okay. So for three years, those interests revol um, revolved around sports, his Catholic faith, um, the Chino group on campus, his guitar and midnight horror films, and long brunches with his friends. But by the fall of um, his senior year, he would add another interest to this. And her name was Bonnie Jean Garland. A girl. A girl. She was stunning with red long hair and she sang beautifully. And she also spoke Spanish. Uh, she had just been at Yale for less than two months by the time they met. And she was 17 years old. Oh. 17 freshman in Yale. Whoa. Mm -hmm. And she had never had a serious boyfriend. And within a week of meeting Richard Heron, she did have a very serious boyfriend. Hmm. We know how that always goes. <laughs> <laughs> this meeting, as a four-month examination of romance and its aftermath um, revealed, would be the beginning of a relationship that would end in a brutal death, which was to um, was not only to affect Bonnie and Richard's family and friends, but the also the institutions as far removed as Yale University and the Catholic community in Albany. Oh, God. What happened? Let me tell you. Okay. Sorry. So Bonnie Garland loved Richard Heron because he was tall and hand... Oh, I just aggressively scrolled on my computer. Hang on, please. Technical difficulties, please hold. <laughs> it's not a Sam episode if she doesn't lose what she's doing. <laughs> so Bonnie Heron loved Richard... Uh, Bonnie Garland loved Richard Heron because he was tall and handsome, musical and athletic. She loved him because he was fun to be with. Um, and in a very ultra-competitive pre-professional environment like Yale, it was refreshing to be with somebody that was, like, laid back and fun to yeah. be around. Yeah. Which I can see why that would be appealing. You're, like, you're in this a very – it's like you said, it's Yale. Mm -hmm. Like, it's supposed to be, like, the best of the best. Right. It's a probably a very competitive atmosphere. Absolutely. So to be with somebody that's, like, laid back and fun. Well, and a very proud environment as well. I mean, can you imagine the egos that are walking around that campus? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, oh, I'm a Yale student. You know, right. I mean, the ego. Like, I bet you could cut through that with a knife just oh, in the air. I am sure. Absolutely. So she loved that about him. She loved that he was just like, I'm going to play my guitar and go to brunch and more of like a free spirit type of attitude, sure. right? Um, she also loved him because he was unlike boy, the boys that she had known during her very sheltered girlhood as an American that was living in Brazil. Mm. Um, she was had a very sheltered education at the exclusive Madria School of Virginia, and she had a very sheltered home life in Scarsborough or Scarsdale, New York. So he was like, yeah, her first time. She's like out for the first time. Well, she's seventeen. She's yeah. in the world for the first time, right? Yeah. But despite their comparative affluence, um, Bonnie's parents, Paul and Joan Garland, um, might easily have been very sympathetic for Richard. For like Richard, Paul Garland had once also been on a scholarship, had been a scholarship student to Yale himself. And like Richard, he had also lived in Saybrook College. And when his wife-to-be, Joan Barber, Barber at the time, um, the daughter of an apartment house superintendent, had come down to visit him on the weekends in the spring of 1952. She was also going to church at the St. Thomas More Church, the Catholic Roman Catholic chapel where Richard played guitar at masses. So they had very similar, like, the dad was like, yeah. 
Simpler background. He was like, you know, I get it. The struggle of being like scholarship student, like you go to the same church that my wife goes to, like mm-hmm. seems like that would be a good fit, right? Or but, at least common ground. Right. Right. But that was about all that the Garlands had in common with Richard. Um, Paul Garland had worked as a dishwasher and in the school library to pay his part of the Yale tuition. And yet he managed to graduate summa cum, cum laude um, in second in his Yale class that year. Wow. After Harvard, after going to Yale, he went to Harvard Law School, and his interest in South American culture led him to Brazil, where he would become a lawyer and founded a firm that would employ 50 attorneys there. Whoa. Joan Garland, in addition to raising four children, had earned herself a master's degree in human genetics from Sarah Lawrence, and now her oldest was starting college, and she was working on her second master's in social work from Columbia. Richard by contrast, seemed to the Garlands to only aspire to graduate, to go to graduate school as a way of really avoiding the real world. Like, he hasn't gotten great grades at Yale, but he's like, I'm going to go get my, I'm going to go to graduate school. And they were like, you're just not wanting to get, like, a job and, like, be a (laughs) grown-up. Is kind of how her parents were seeing this, right? So, Paul and Joan Garland considered, um, also would consider Richard's, like, how he presented himself. They said that he always was wearing a t-shirt, really baggy pants, and he always wore sneakers without socks. Oh, gross. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> and the Garlands hoped that Bonnie's next boyfriend would be a more suitable match for their daughter. Seriously. So clearly the very cheerful, motivated young woman who was always I'm like, ape. sneakers without socks, he's out. <laughs> like, that's deal that's breaker right there. No. Um, her first semester at Yale, she had gotten an A, two Bs, and a C. So she was doing okay. okay. After meeting Richard, though, she had her second semester, two Ds, an F, and a C. Oh, no. So they were like, hopefully she comes to her senses after he graduates. Because he's a senior, she's a freshman. They're like, maybe after he graduates, she'll be like, straighten it out, right? Yeah, or maybe you're moving off campus and mama's moving here with you because this is an opportunity of the lifetime. Pull your head out of your ass. Yeah. So they were like, at first they were okay. Now they're like, okay, this boy is trouble. You don't get into Yale, an Ivy League school, to flunk out. No. Pull your head out of your ass. 100%. So these guys were together almost all of the time until the August of 1975 when Richard leaved for his graduate studies of geology at um, Texas Christian University in Fort Worth. Um, Before his departure, he and Bonnie had talked about getting married but had no firm plans, and they would have marathon phone conversations to keep them in touch and did letters, including one letter where he simply just wrote the word, I love you, 125 times. Uh Mm Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Mental health red flag. Yeah. Yeah. So while he's in Texas, she would come down for summers and nanny so she could be with him. Like, they're in love. Mm. Her parents aren't in love with the fact that they're in love. But they're in love. And he was like, you know, just accelerate. Get your program done so that we can be together. Right? Get done faster. Focus on school. Get it done. And so that's what Bonnie did. In addition to private voice lessons, she also started singing in the Glee Club. She was also in the chapel choir in a group called Proof is in the Pudding, which was such a funny, funny, like, singing group name. She signed up for five and a half courses each semester, and by the middle of her third year at Yale, she was kind of 
falling really deep into like not being super okay. She started sleeping through classes. She was eating nothing but cheesecakes, like whole cheesecakes at a time. She all of a sudden had gone from like a size three to a size 16. Like Ooh. red flags here, right? And around March of 1977, Bonnie's life changed. She started seeing a psychiatrist and she started dating a popular Yale senior. Remember, she has a boyfriend in Texas. I'm like, what? Uh huh. And her, um, with her parents' approval, she decides to withdraw from Yale University. And her parents are like, "You're clearly not doing good there." I mean, Come I think home. about as a parent. Yeah. I mean, if I walked in and was twelve sizes larger in a semester, you know what I mean? And sad and, and, and I'm not doing well. Right. That's yeah. what I'm gonna say. And like. I'm failing out of school and I'm like, those are red flags as a parent. Mm -hmm. So they make the decision that she's going to be leaving. No, I would chain you to the basement, make you go online and make you finish what you started. Oh wow. That's aggressive. Okay. And I would portion your food. <laughs> make you run on a treadmill for three hours a day. Oh my gosh. No more cheesecake for you. <laughs> Damn. So now we know how Tracy would react. <laughs> Poor will listen to this episode. Um, there was one last thing that she had to change, though. In late of late June, Bonnie decided she was going to make it. She wrote Richard a letter saying that she was no, li no longer living for the time that they would be married. She um, Heron sent, or Richard received the letter while he was packing to move to Washington, D.C., where he was about to enter a Ph.D. program at George Washington University. He couldn't imagine his life without the woman he called my Bonnie Beautiful. So he abruptly changed his plans and flew to New York to, quote, reclaim her. Cool. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Bonnie Garland allowed him to stay at her parents' home for a few days and talk things over because she told her family she really wanted to let him down gently. They've been together for three years. Like, she's like, I care for him. I just don't want to be with him anymore, you know? And the Garlands were just so grateful that this two-and-a-half-year quote from them mistake was over almost over that they agreed that he could stay at the home joan garland wanted one thing very clearly understood though richard was to leave scarsdale on thursday july 7th because bonnie was supposed to be starting summer school at columbia the following monday and her mom wanted her to be really well rested for that so she sure. was like he can stay but he's got to be out of here by thursday hmm. that's I my deal. let him stay i bet they're hoping they didn't either i'd be like no the end is the end be done. He doesn't need to come talk. If you want to be done, there's nothing to talk about. Right. Well, during the visit, Bonnie was adamant that she did not want to be with Richard anymore. And so she tells him, like, I'm seeing someone else. I don't want to be with you anymore. Like, this is over. And she says, good night. And she thought she was saying goodbye to Richard. He was supposed to leave the next morning. But during the night, instead of staying in the guest room that the family had set up for him, he slipped into her room while she was sleeping and sat next to her bed, flipping through a Sports Illustrated, where he hatched a plan. He, this is a quote directly from him. Sometime while I was flipping through those pages, looking at Bonnie sleeping, it came to me, I have to kill her, and then I'm going to kill myself. Oh, shit. Around 2 in the morning on July 7th, 1977, while the Garland slept, Richard, as he told in his confession to the police, took Paul Garland's claw hammer out of the kitchen closet. Oh my God, what are you going to say right now? Wrapped it in a yellow towel and left it outside of Bonnie's bedroom. He went in to make sure she was still asleep, returned to the hall for the hammer and the towel. 
He then placed them under her bed, made sure she was still asleep, and then hit her in the head at least three times with with the claw end of the hammer. He then fled the scene, taking one of the Garland's cars, and according to police, drove around aimlessly. He broke the rearview mirror so that he he would have sharp glass so that when he was ready to slit his wrist, he was ready. But when the car was almost out of gas, he stopped in front of St. Mary's Church in Coxsackie, New York, about 100 miles from the family home. (sighs) It took him almost two hours to gather the courage to go in and ask for the priest's help. So it wasn't until 7 in the morning, with an unsuspecting Paul Garland already on the train to his New York office, when the Coxsackie police reached the Scardale police. Scardale um, detective dispatched three officers to the Tudor-style home on the corner of Oak Lane. There, with Joan Garland hurrying up the stairs ahead of them, they found Bonnie. She was gasping for air. (gasps) Unconscious, bloody, and gurgling on her own blood, but she was still alive. So they rush her to the hospital and surgeons work on her for three hours in surgery. And at 10.38 p.m., with her mother holding her hand, Bonnie Jean Garland died at 20 years old. Oh, no. Richard was um, arrested immediately and was told at that time that Bonnie was in surgery. And this trigger warning, if you want to fast forward 30 seconds, go ahead because this is graphic. Trigger warning. If you you need a trigger warning, listen to a different podcast. Seriously. (laughs) Um, So he was told that Bonnie was in surgery and he was quoted saying, no, it can't be. She has to be dead. I don't believe it. Her head split open like a watermelon. (gasps) He shouted, smashing his feet into the floor and then jerked his head up, eyes wide and screamed, she has to be dead. Holy shit. Yep. So there's that. (laughs) Um, He was indicted for second degree murder and two lesser charges. And entered a plea of not guilty due to virtue of temporary insanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You saw that coming, didn't you? I did. So now this is going to get like a little wild. So if you get a confused, little wild. it gets extra wild here. So if you get confused, stop me and just ask for clarity here. Reverend um, Gary Brown told mourners at Bonnie's funeral, quote, Some of, y- of the most powerful feelings may be that of bitterness and hatred. Those awful feelings are undeniable. I maintain that expressing them is healthy. This is an essential essential part of your process of grief. But for the people who had known known and liked Richard at Yale, that reaction was impossible. They could not hate a man that they knew only as a very like pacifistic guy. Mm-hmm. Like they were like, "There's he's a good guy." Everyone that knew him was like, "He's a good guy." Sure. So. What Richard told the police he had done, many said was beyond their comprehension that he could have done. But they felt it was no reason for a second life to be destroyed as well. They believed oh, that Richard God. could not, um, could yet have make, made a contribution to society. And their re- response to the killing was to throw their energies into saving Richard. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What the Garlands describe as a quote, second assault, began the week after the murder. When A.T. Wall, Richard Heron's former roommate at Yale, sent a, ma- um, sent a mailing to Richard's friends soliciting letters that could be used as a bail campaign. Some of those had responded where people had known Richard in Los Angeles, 
but most of them were Yale's graduates and faculty. Holy shit. One classmate was a 23-year-old special um, assistant to President Carter who wrote on his behalf. A congregational aide wrote to the judge, and as did Yale's dean, Martin Griffin. She was a student at Yale, too. And isn't it funny how everybody said that he was just like a mediocre, lazy whatever and now, wasn't doing anything until he does something horrendous and now all of a sudden he's... He's in a PhD program. Oh, my gosh. He, he can contribute to society. How? He wasn't contributing to Yale. And he killed someone. A hun- brutally killed someone. Oh, she my was God. alive for like eight and she, hours. And she was a Yale student, too. What about her? Mm-hmm. So letters like those and the willingness of 19 member, the 19 members of the Christian Brothers community of Albany provided shelter and supervision during pretrial period, um, enabling Richard's attorney, Jack Lippman, to compile a bail application um, to acting judge John Wallace who the judge described this application as the best application he had ever seen for bail. Hmm. He set bail at $50,000 and Heron's family and um, friends raised $11,000 and a pediatric cardiologist of Yale who worshipped at St. Thomas More, who had never even met Richard, was granted access to go and visit him. And he came out and was like, he seems like he's so close to suicide. This is going to be another tragedy. Like, we have to save him. Like, we have to, like, be his salvation. And rallied, like, all of these, like, church members and things to, like, come to his aid. Financially. Financially. Mm-hmm. So, he was released um, August 11th. On bail. On bail. For waiting till, till yeah. pre-trial. Richard Heron's Yale supporters had acted so quickly and effa- um, effectively that Paul Garland um, contended that Richard was released was a result of some conspiracy. Imagine being this family. Yeah. Like, all yeah. of these people are just rallying around the man that just, in your home, brutally murdered your daughter. Right. A close look at the case, however, suggests that Richard's friends were highly principled people who sympathized with the Garlands for, and were uh, and for mourning Bonnie's death, but were more preoccupied in securing Richard's freedom. They were like, we sympathize. Like, that's really, that's really shitty, but got to get him out of jail. Holy shit. The university chaplain, for one, who has described himself as rarely confrontational, viewed this bail effort um with an even-handedness that um, precluded him commenting publicly on the matter. Like others at Yale, he concerned himself with the planning of a memorial service for Bonnie. Later, um, Yale's Dean Horrence Taff wrote, quote, I can easily understand the distress these letters have caused Mr. Garland, but I very much regret that he seems to have interpreted them as some kind of institutional involvement by Yale in the defense of Richard Heron. Yale has no place and will not be taking one. You already did. One of your your deans already wrote a letter. You're already involved. Mm -hmm. You can't take it back after people are pissed about it. Right. Paul and Joan um, Garland were more than, quote, distressed about these letters, obviously. Obviously. Um, They were completely dumbfounded that Richard Heron could be freed only 35 days after murder, after this murder, with no psychiatric evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um. 
<laughs> like you're claiming that you are temporarily insane and and they're going to release you without any parameters set on that right or even speaking to anybody beforehand right. like that's i don't know i don't the garland family said that this was really reckless because if he was temporarily insane what was stopping him from like doing snapping yeah. again um they also said that jo joan garland was quoted saying richard was murdering scarsdale the community as a whole and all that this town stood for by being released. Yeah. I don't know. So the Moore House, the church that he had been going to, um, one of the reverend there, Richard Russell, was quoted as saying this was a brother who had fallen and that they needed to stand behind him as our security, our security is God. So they 100% stood behind him this entire way. Friends told Paul Garland that his torment was um, the necessary price of the American bail system. They assured him his fears would end with the trial. But Paul and Joan Garland couldn't be confront or comforted by the segments that maybe he'd be arrested for this. Thanks to Richard Heron, their 13-year-old daughter and Bonnie's little sister was afraid to be at home alone. Oh, yeah. Um, the entire family started therapy, and because of this attack... Paul Garland, who averaged 100,000 miles of business travel a year, couldn't leave his home family alone for even a night without them yeah. losing it. He was like, this has affected every single person in this sure. house. Paul Garland's feelings of rage and fear and protectiveness were compounded by his sense that Richard's um, Yale connections and the support of the Roman Catholic Church had influenced the judge. Um <clears throat> And he be Garland believes that so many people had helped Richard get bail would also speak up for him in court. They were like, if he got that many people to write letters so quickly, they're all going to go and give personal statements in jail or sure. in court. <clears throat> and as Garland is an attorney, he is well aware that about 25% of New York's murder defendants who had been acquitted for the reason of temporary insanity would be released from a state hospital very soon afterwards sure so he knows how this is going to go right he's he's not having faith in the justice system no. so until he went to trial on may 15th of 1978 richard lived as a free man he attended another college under an assumed name in a quote leapfrogging from sin forgiveness over the hallowed principle of penis as psych psychiatric willard galen um, says the church had forgiven richard so he forgave himself Richard was like, I have nothing to be sorry about. The church forgave me. I have, I can forgive myself for my murder. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the trial seemed to have been a very classic example of brilliant defense, lackluster um, prosecution, and a psychiatric testimony describing a motive as Bonnie was breaking his heart. Right? It also portrayed Richard as having being left emotionally crippled by her breaking up with him. And having a frightened childhood and a fear of being left, this profoundly distraught caused him to snap. That's what the psychiatrist was saying. Because he was afraid of being left. That What was traumatic about his childhood again? His dad left when he was three. He was poor. 90% oh, okay. of America. I don't know what to tell you. Right. Yeah, so, 
And he, the psychiatrist also said that he got his social status and from sexual love is how it built his self-esteem. And so her taking that from him, like, crippled his self-esteem. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. His attorney filed the official, quote, notice of defense of Mm -hmm. mental health disease or defect. And almost exactly a month after the trial started, with Bonnie Garland's character completely tainted as this, like, cheating, vicious, nasty woman, which she had tried to break up with him a month before. He's the one that was, like... And it's college. Come on. You live in a different state. You go to a different school. mm -hmm. You, I mean, you knew each other for a minute. I mean, yeah, it was three years, but literally, I mean, you know... Yeah. It was college. He, He left what like the year Three, that they met yeah he graduated that summer and she was 17 if anybody played on anybody's emotions it was the other way around she was a yep. kid she was a baby yep richard was found not guilty of murder in the first <gasps> degree despite his admission to the police that he had planned this murder instead he was guilty of manslaughter he was sentenced to eight shot for your mouth up to 25 years in prison. What did you say? Sentenced to eight years, four months, or up to 25 years in prison. Eligible for parole in 1986. He then was sentenced to the New York Eastern Correctional Facility. While there, he would be interviewed repeatedly by psychiatrists Peter Mayer and Willard Galen. Um, who believe- And he was quoted as saying that this... Richard, okay. Richard was quoted saying that his sentence was excessive. Oh, was it now? Mm-hmm. For Richard, um, Galen, Willard Galen does not believe that he was ever temporarily insane. No. And that's a very respected psychiatrist yeah. in the field. So that's just throwing that out there. Um, Richard had character defects and emotional problems and needed psychi- uh, psychiatrist um, attention, according to uh galen and this could but he said that there's no way that they could have really like anticipated that he was going to do this but i completely you looked at me funny and i might bring i'm like i'm waiting for something intelligent to come out of this report Uh, um that there was no way that he could have that they could have understood that he was going to bludgeon his sweetheart to death because he was rejected. And this is a quote from from Galen. The place that Richard holds on the spectrum from normal to psychotic is um, securely within the area where I would say he's normal. Hmm. So, after um, after the trial, Bonnie's mother said, that apparently if you just have $30,000 for a defense, a Yale connection, and a uh, clergy connection, you're entitled to one good free hammer murder. Heaven help any girlfriend or boyfriend that's breaking up. Everything here is upside down. Facts. But You know, though, they had a Yale connection. She has ties to the Catholic Church. So I don't understand... But all those people okay, didn't come but, for them. But if you want to do the whole religion thing, it's a commandment. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. It's a commandment. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't know because I'm not Catholic. I don't know what their repentance process is, but isn't part of repentance making amends and making it right? Yeah. So how do you make right murder? 
question. I mean, that's a debate. I mean, I have a conviction of, of what that what that means. But it doesn't mean, oh, I went into a pew with a with a preacher and I gave 15 Hail Marys. I'm not making fun of the Catholic Church or whatever. And I walk out and, you know, my the slate is clean. That's not repentance. Right. It's also asking, is it not, is not part of repentance, asking for forgiveness for those in which you've harmed? Yeah. Yeah. That is absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. Like, I get the whole... He got a manslaughter charge. Manslaughter. He took a hammer to this poor girl while she was asleep in a home that he was invited in. Yeah. Could you imagine... The guilt of that family. Oh, I can't even. I can't even. Imagine. A father, you know, like lack of being able to to protect his daughter. The mother saying that he could stay there. Mm -hmm. Could you imagine the guilt? Or that you didn't check on her, like when you got up that morning, because like everybody, dad was on his way to work. Mom was like probably downstairs making breakfast. You know, she was alive up there. She or even or even what kind of idiot? What kind of idiot was I to leave that hammer where somebody? I mean, like the guilt. I know. But that's the thing, too. And it wasn't, not that it would be any better if she died. I mean, it kind of would if she died instantly. She was alive for hours. Right. Hours. Waiting for somebody to come in. I, uh, the guilt. 24 hours, essentially. Pretty much, I mean, like. 18. Yeah, but like laying in the bed alive with her awake, waiting for somebody to come in and find her, unable to scream, unable to move, unable to. Anything. Whatever, you know, hearing dad getting ready for work, hearing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh my God. So sad. And it's not like she did. It's not like, it's not like the breakup was toxic or bad. No. It was just, hey, we've moved different directions. We're going different places. You've lived in a different state for two years. I've met somebody else. It's college. Yeah. God damn, I think back to when I was that age and some of the shit I did. And man, if that's all it takes to set somebody off or set him off, mm -hmm. you know, her mom is absolutely right. God help whoever he winds up with next. Yeah. Bonnie's dad, after the trial, said Richard had successfully gotten away with murder. Absolutely. That wasn't a sentence that he should have received. Richard was released from prison in 1995. Oof. He moved to Saraco, New Mexico. Ready for this? Where he got a job as a at a local mental health foundation. Oh my fucking god! As a coordinator for the town's safe community project. Oh my god! What? Bonnie's parents would sue Richard after he got out for wrongful death. Good. They did receive forty thousand dollars. That's not shit. That's not shit. It's not even her tuition for that semester. Oh my God. He works at a mental health foundation. For community safety. Oh my God. I can't. So he served 19 years. Oh my God. He's a mental health provider. He's a mental health provider. That's awesome. So if you live in New Mexico, check their credentials. Check, check their, their credentials. credentials. Richard Heron, um, 
Oh my god! Don't take is any he advice married from now? Does Can't find have... anything else except that he works as a... he probably got a change of name and a change of freaking everything. Probably. That's disgusting. It's a vile story. That's disgusting. Jesus Christ. How do you keep your kids safe? Her first boyfriend. 17 years old, Yale student. Trying to get her life back on track because she had been in such a deep hole for so long. Like, that's a, it's always, not that it's more sad, but like she's trying to take care of her mental health. She's seeing a psychiatrist. She's trying to get, she's changing schools to try and better herself. Like, She's trying to get her life back on track, and she's just like, I just want a fresh start. And he's like, not without me. If I can't have you, nobody else. And then what a fucking pussy. He's like, I'm going to kill her and then kill myself, but then he doesn't even have the fucking balls to kill himself. You know, I mean, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, but I mean, literally. That was aggressive. I didn't mean that like that, but I'm fired. No, seriously. Any man... Who puts his hands on a freaking woman. And especially a sleeping woman. Like special special place in hell reserved for you. Men are supposed to provide and protect. Mm. That's it. That's it. That's all you have to do. Provide and protect. Get a good paying job. Pay the fucking bills. And protect your fucking lady. That's all you have to do. That's it. Yeah. And when men can't do that. I, whatever. It's why, whatever. I'm not going to say that. Stacy, you know what I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Samantha. So, that was awesome. Um, as you know, Coral is about to graduate from high school and go off to college. She's not going. She's going to do online. <laughs> she's getting chained in the bathroom with a portioned food she, and a treadmill. She also will be 17 when she graduates from high school yeah. and goes to college. So she will not be leaving for college. She will be staying home and doing the first <laughs> the first year online. And when she moves off to go to college, I am relocating to wherever she goes to college. Perfect. And then she can live at home. I'll tell you what, though. She breaks up with somebody. There's no way. Oh, I guess I shouldn't say that because she's broken up with people before and I've left them in my house. Yeah. Oof. Oof. It's a really sad story. It's kind of wild how many people, like, rallied around him so quickly though. oh that's that is disgusting like, that blows my mind and it's like mm-hmm. prominent people an assistant to the president it is amazing isn't it like how we take a stand on things and then when it affects us in a personal way how different that changes it's so like you see it over and over and over again do you not yeah it's I mean, over 25 people for his bail hearing for his bail hearing was like, he is an amazing, the Dean. And then they are like, Yale had nothing to do with this. I don't know why everybody's so mad at us. Well, your Dean wrote a letter. Right. And you can be an amazing person. Amazing people do shitty things all the time. hundred percent. I mean, if you look at seriously, statistically, the amount of men who beat their freaking wives, who do horrendous things to their wives and children. Everyone in the community will say what an amazing, caring, giving, humanitarian that person is. Yeah. It's fake. Yeah. It's not real. Yep. Anybody can be amazing and kind and great when until shit gets real. Mm-hmm. And he's such a 
promising young man. Oh, he's like doing all these things. She was a promising young woman. She was. She was. She had. She was figuring her shit out mm -hmm. at a very, very young age, right? And again, like they didn't have nice things to say to say about him in the beginning, until all 100%. of a sudden he takes a hammer and smashes somebody's head. Somebody he loves so much, right? His beautiful baby or whatever he called her, and then all of a sudden, if I can't have her, nobody else will. I mean, honestly, it doesn't sound like a. It doesn't sound to me like somebody who had a horrific childhood, it sounds to me like a spoiled little fucking, like, entitled prick. Yeah. It's a gross story. I hope that his stay in prison was horrific. He's a mental health provider. He's a mental health professional. Do you see what my problem is with professionals? It actually was kind of perfect after last Thursday's episode when you were like, I look at things and I'm like, how do you have a job here? Yeah. How does he have that job? I like, I don't understand it. I don't get it. How is he in mental health? How are some of the doctors, doctors? I, I mean, probation officers. I see probation officers in Wyoming getting DUIs, going to the freaking bar and getting wasted drunk as they do their walkthroughs to check and see if there, any of their probation people are there. You know, doing shots at the bar while they're there, making a shot, then getting in a vehicle and driving. Mm -hmm. Cops that do the same thing. And it's like, what the fuck is happening in America? 100%. What the hell? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Drugs that are coming out of our court buildings, drugs that are coming out of our, out of our um, district attorney's offices. It's like, what? Mm -hmm. How does this happen? How does this happen? Who holds the, who holds the bar of standard in America? Apparently nobody. Nobody, nobody yeah. does. Nobody. Okay, well, that's great. That's awesome. I just said some shit that I'll probably hear about tomorrow at work or something. Well, I, got, I told you you were going to get fired up. I hate this episode. You were really quiet. I knew at the end that I was going to be like, so now here's the kicker. Yeah. Eight to 25 years and a mental health professional. It's like, man, it's like Candy Montgomery. How, can How are these work? people therapists and advisors? How and can you be a convicted felon and work in the mental health field? I don't understand it. I do not get it. Is man's daughter a felony? Yes. How? Like, do we not do background checks? Like, there are the, there are exclusions. And I get it, y'all. Don't even come at me for this. I know that people can change and people can whatever. But there are some things that you give up your right to becoming a professional in. And you have no business in the mental health field if you have a mental health diagnosis that is so bad that you kill someone. Or that you just... What are you going to teach? How to overcome that? What are, what? How if God forgives you that you, none of it matters? God forgives everybody. If you believe, if you believe that, I mean, he died for our sin. Like every sin is forgivable. Like everything is forgivable except denying him, right? Like that's what the Bible says. But you still have Whatever. I can't. Thanks I can't. a lot, Sam. Okay. Bye, guys. Stay safe.